Welcome to Grace Point. Uh, you know, we come in here week after week, and, and I know everyone comes in here kind of on a different, different place on the map. Um, where are you at today? Where are you at in, um, in your meter of sustaining life? Because there's this rude awakening that happens from time to time. Whenever, just when you think you've got life just figured out, then all of a sudden, and it doesn't matter what that all of a sudden is, it just is the all of a sudden, and what, what, was you, what you thought was a secure structure to build on, it becomes really uh, revealed that it's just a house of cards. Or you, you, you think that, okay, we were past that season and now we're into another season. And I realized this week when it happened on Thursday to two families in our church, when all of a sudden there were two people that lost two people in their family very near and dear to them. And one was kind of relaying the story to me before the gatherings today, and it was just like, it's, 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 it's normal one moment, it's, it's predictable one moment, it's together one moment, and then it's not. It's like everything falls out from underneath you. And I'm trying to be depressing. I'm trying to just wrestle with this as, again, as I even think about last week's message and what I talked about, and that, you know, who's going to be this next week? And what's going to happen then? And are we going to have what's going to be the, the foundation underneath us to be able to handle whenever it crumbles under our feet? Life crumbles, situations happen. Are, are, are we going to actually find that we're not in such a good spot? Uh, we're gonna, are, are, we, are we sick and we don't realize it? Are, are, are we not healthy and, we're, and, and we just don't, we don't, we don't know it? I, let me tell you the story of a, a guy named Mike. I don't know, maybe this is a decade ago. I don't remember how long ago, but it was a decade ago uh, at least. And, and Mike was in our church and he, was, he wouldn't have been here this week, okay? He was a biker, he was a biker guy. He had the leather. He had the tats. He had the long hair. He had the Harley. He had been down the street at, uh, at Bikes, Blues, and Barbecue. Uh, no doubt about it. And uh, he, was, um, he was a hard guy. He was, he's kind of like an Oreo cookie. He had a hard, dark outward shell, but there was a soft side on the inside that was kind of sweet. But most people didn't get there. In fact, it took him one day, the floor caving out underneath him, before he realized that he wasn't as strong as he thought he was. And it happened one day whenever he was a strong guy, kind of a, a, a mechanic guy, and he, he, he woke up one day and there was a spot on him and he ignored it and he went on and paid not much attention to it. And, and the spot grew and said, yeah, yeah, maybe I need to go get that checked out. Went and got it checked out. Well, long story short, it was a little late. And he had melanoma and... Uh, and that spot had grown, grown inside him and had gone to other places and it was not a good thing. And, and Mike went through chemo and then he got better and then it came back with vengeance and he didn't make it. And I can remember sitting in his living room one day and I was thinking, Mike, isn't melanoma, isn't it treatable, preventable? Is, and, and there's, can't you, he said, he said, stop me. He said, yes if you do something quick enough, if you get in front of it fast enough. 
And that's just always stuck with me. And I tell you, if a, if a spot, a pimple, or whatever shows up on my body, I am very quick to make an appointment at the dermatologist. I am very quick to try to figure out what that is just because of Mike's experience. And, and, and the, 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 the floor falling out underneath him. And so here I, here's the question that I'm dealing with today is, is, can we be sick and not know it? Can we be suffering and we're just used to it and we just go with it? We just kind of push through the pain. And, and, but we really, there's something deeper on in the inside of us. And I'm not, I'm not trying to be an alarmist and see every spot is melanoma in our lives or, or anything like that. But, but maybe even in our church, could there be spots that need to be addressed? I mean, we're 15 years into this. And I, and, I, and I brought that up several times recently because this is just where I'm at. I am at a point now when we're 15 years in and I know the studies, I've read the studies, I've seen them, that most churches start mm, declining, plateauing at about 15. They kind of finish their peak and it's all over and it's just smooth sailing thereafter. And they just kind of coast along until eventually they die from the inside out. And so I'm kind of like pulling out the roadmap here and trying to look at the roadmap and say, hey, where are we? Are we headed where we say we were headed? Are we still doing what we said we were about? When we said that we were going to be an authentic church, are we still authentic? Or do we kind of dress up and pose around one another? Are we still a church for those who have given up on the church but haven't given up on God? I was so encouraged this weekend whenever we had our North Point, and there was uh, one young lady who was in that group, and she, she said she had not been in church in five years. I thought, yes. Hugged her neck, said, yes, you're why we're here. For those who've given up on the church but haven't given up on God. So, you know, are we heading in the right direction? Are we doing the right? When we say we exist for authentic worship of God, to encourage authentic worship of God. Can't make you worship, but hopefully we can set it up where you will worship. When you sit here and you have the worship pastor on the stage talk about depression that he has gone through, does that rise up in with you a willingness to be authentic, to say, Here, here's my life, broken, flawed as it may be, but thanks by the grace of God, I live another day. Or are we sick? And we don't know it. We exist to promote transformative community with one another. Are you in a, a holy huddle, a community of people, or are you in a transformative community? And the difference is not just in word. The difference is in deed. It, are you truly being transformed in that community? Are they calling the best out in you? Are, you? are you calling the best out in them? Are you doing one another's well together? You know, are you able to be changed, or are you willing to be changed? Think about it. Because there's a lot written out there. There's a lot out there um, that, that tells us how to be healthy in our bodies. But there's not a lot written out there to how to be healthy as a church. But I came across a disease that could very easily be in our church right now. In fact, I will say that there are pockets of it, and I'm not trying to be passive-aggressive and say, yeah, I know it, but you don't know it, and I'm not going to tell you. I'm not trying to do that. I just know in a church this size, gathering this size, that we have this, this one potentially deadly disease, and it's called coinonitis. I didn't coin the phrase. It was some doctors, some professors that were a lot smarter than me, but it was a professor who kind of unveiled the word to me, kind of talked talk, 
showed me what the word was. You might recognize it if you've ever heard any Greek words before, but koinonia is the root of that word, and it actually means fellowship. That's actually a good thing. And so really, you get koinonitis uh, out on the, uh, the, the tus at the end, Peter Wagner did, and, and he's written a lot on church health and studied church health and unhealthy churches and growing churches and all that kind of stuff. And, and he's really kind of come up with this, this, this whole idea that really what happens is it's a hardening of the arteries inside the church where the church no longer breathes and functions and exists for what it exists for. They now just exist for themselves. They have sweet fellowship, good casseroles. They like hanging out, like going to the movies together. They have good community. It's us for no more and shut the door kind of attitude though. The thing is, is that koinonitis is the STD of the church. Yes, I said that. No, not the same kind of STD. Here's what uh, Frank Viola said about it. Koinonitis is the leading cause of death among organic churches. Koinonitis is highly contagious. It is an STD, a spiritually transmitted disease. It gets past and it's here one day and then it's over here and it spreads throughout communitas groups and, and cliques and, and where we hang out and all of a sudden we, we have it and we don't realize. You might have it yourself. Do some self-examination of the spots that may be on, your, on the skin of your soul. You might have koinonitis if you're a part of a communitas group that absolutely cannot even imagine multiplying because our fellowship is so sweet we enjoy each other so much that if we were to ever multiply, I don't know that we could ever make it. You might have koinonitis. You, have, you might have koinonitis if, if you wouldn't even think about going on a global adventure to see those people over there come to faith in Christ because really it is of your spiritual persuasion that my mission field is right here at home. And then I turn around and ask you the follow-up question. When was the last time you led someone to Christ here at home? Well, in the past 12 months, how many? Well, none. What about the past 24 months? Well, zero. And I don't know that you're on mission here either. You might be suffering from koinonitis. You might be suffering from koinonitis if you sit in the same spot every week and you talk to the same people every week, you come in and you never meet anybody new. You please tell me, in a room this size, you don't know everyone. I don't know everyone. You might be suffering from koinonitis if the last time you met somebody was weeks or months ago. We literally try to promote a three-minute rule around here. And we don't always do it. I know I don't always do it, but I certainly want to encourage us all to do it. And the three-minute rule is that you'll take the first three minutes of every, after every gathering and you will meet somebody new. So right now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to look around and I want you to figure out who you're going to creep on immediately following our service, all right? Now, don't go too far with that creeping thing, but at least say, okay, I'm going to go introduce myself. I'm going to walk across the room. I'm going to go across the aisle, and I'm just going to say, hey, you know that big mouth talking guy, he said I needed to meet you. You don't have to invite him over for the holidays. You're just building bridges. You're just meeting people. It was an incredible thing happened this, this past weekend. And we had North Point. We had a new members class. And a really cool thing happened when somebody walked across the room and met somebody new. And they ended up meeting somebody from their hometown. I think it was in Illinois, a small hometown. They grew up in the same town and they know some of the same people. It wouldn't have happened had they not walked across the room.
Sikononitis makes it to where all I need are my short click of people, and that's all I really need, and we have such sweet, wonderful fellowship. Kononia gone bad. It's kind of like bananas. It's kind of like fruit. If we're an organic, you can only keep it for so long, and then it goes bad. We exist. Here's the third reason we exist. We exist to activate and arm our members for mission and ministry. This is where we become externally focused here, okay? This is where we kind of have to move outside of our comfort zones, the first one, okay, yes, I want that authentic, transformative worship. I, I, I want that. I want that transformative community. I mean, I, I want that kind of connection with, with a few people. But now I'm actually, we're turning and we're going to activate and arm our people to go beyond themselves, to move out. Whenever you think about Jesus, I mean, the whole idea, when you think about the God and the scriptures from the beginning to the end, he's constantly trying to get us to go outward, to think beyond ourselves. Even in a perfect garden, in a perfect world, the very first command that he gave was to be fruitful and multiply. You think, oh, that's a perfect world. He wanted them to, to, to populate the earth. Absolutely, he wanted them to populate the earth. But what was he trying to do? Was it just to get more bodies on this piece of dirt? No. He wants more worshipers. He wants more worshipers. And so what you do, if you're going to have more worshipers, you've got to multiply. And now we live in this imperfect fallen world. So what if we saw the very first great commission of God was to multiply followers, multiply worshipers, to raise up a new generation? Listen, Jesus said it whenever he called his first disciples. He said, listen, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. He's going to transform them. If you're not being transformed, specifically, think about it like this. Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Reverse that. If I'm not fishing, I must not be following. So, really... If I'm not externally looking out, who am I, who can I invest in? But I realize when you're sitting in this room and the floor is just falling out in your life, it's really hard to look beyond yourself. Because we could be weak in our own selves, weak in our own flesh. Let's hang on to that thought. Take your Bibles, be looking at the book of 2 Timothy, way back in the New Testament, the last letter written by Paul, written somewhere between 67 and 68 A.D., it was literally right before he passed away. He calls Timothy. He's wanting Timothy to come to be with him one more time. Hey, when you come, literally, he says, bring my blankie. Uh, didn't say it exactly like that, but uh, bring my blankie, bring my books. Uh, uh, and, you know, he, he gives him this list of things, but he also realizes that his time's coming to an end. And so he prepares him to really hand off the baton. But if you look at the life of Jesus, you know he had 12 disciples. But if you look at the life of Paul, man, I mean, this guy, he, he, he got what Jesus was doing and he replicated it. Jesus had 12. Paul had at least 12 disciples. And that's conservatively counting them. Okay? I'm going to read some of them to you. I'm going to butcher some of their names, but it'll be like I'm reading out of a Greek phone book. So just hang with me on this. The first one is Epaphrodites in Philippians chapter 2, verse 25. You can read about that. Silas, Acts chapter 4, 17, t, 
10, Titus 1 uh, in Titus 1, 4, Onesimus, Philemon chapter 1, verse 10, Luke 2, Timothy 4, 11, Erastus, uh, Trophimus uh, in 2 Timothy. You can go on down in uh, Eubulus and that guy's name and Linus, the guy with the blanket and Charlie Brown and, um, and Claudia and Deimos. He goes through this whole list and then at the end, finally, I guess he runs out of parchment and he says, and the others. So we know that there were others when you get into the last part of 2 Timothy. But by the way, let's not skip over Deimos too quickly. Because even Jesus had 12 disciples and he lost one. So Paul had 12 and he lost one. This is what it says of Deimos. It says that he has deserted me because he loves the things of this life. Wow, what a testimony. What a sad testimony. When you look at why did Judas turn away from God? Because he loved the things of this life. Why did Deimos turn away from God? He loved the things of this life. There's a great comparison going on here. But is that all? No, there were more. There's at least one more. It's Timothy. Timothy was totally invested in, and and Paul invested in him in great ways. And so I want us to read this passage, 2 Timothy chapter 2, just two verses. See if you can identify the the key words, the verbs that are going to be in here. He says, you then my child. Hear the intimacy in this. Also, I want you to hear Paul's ramping it up. You then, my child, or therefore, my child. He's really trying to draw Timothy in. Now, did Paul bring Timothy to faith? No, we'll see somebody else did. But Paul totally invested in him like a father would a son. Not patronizing, but like a father or a son. And that's what we're talking about. We're talking about multiplying. We're talking about activating an army. How, who am I investing in? And how am I investing in them? Well, Paul does that here with uh, Timothy. He says, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others. So the two, the two verbs that I want you to, to see, and they're both in this imperative kind of mood here where he's trying, really calling them out. It's not optional. It's not get to it when you can or if you want to do it. No, he's saying, listen, you've got to do this. You've got to be strengthened and you've got to entrust. Two things he calls them to. Now, one, interestingly, the first one, be strengthened, is in a, is in a passive voice. In the Greek, and entrust is in a middle voice. Now, we don't have a middle voice in the English language, and I'll come and explain that to you in a minute. But if you break it down word by word, you gotta, you got to see here that he's emphatically imperative. He's coming out. He says, listen, Timothy, my child. And then he gives him the instruction. What's the instruction? How do we avoid this koinonitis? How do we... Avoid dying from the inside out. Number one, there's equilibriums that we got to need here. We got to grow your faith inward. Inside of you. Grow your faith. Now, I don't want you to hear this, me saying in any way, become 
become this inner focused kind of individual, become all about you kind of individual. No, I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying what Paul is saying and what he says again and again and again. He says, you yourself have to be strong. And now there's sometimes in scripture where he tells us in not the passive voice, but in an active voice, hey, Joshua, you're now the leader. You're going to have to be strong and courageous three times in chapter, uh, chapter one of Joshua. He says, you're going to have to be strong and courageous. You're going to have to be strong and courageous. You're going to have to be strong and courageous. So he kind of calls him up and says, put on your big boy pants and get in there. Sometimes we got to do that. Not what he's doing here. He's saying, be strengthened. Be strengthened. It's a, it's a passive voice. It's the idea that it happens to you. By what? By the grace of God. By the grace of God. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. I don't know where some of you are in this room, as I said earlier. Has the floor fallen out in your life? There's a person in the last gathering who I met for the first time, first time here whose wife is struggling and entering into Alzheimer's, the, one of the final stages of it. And it was just sad to meet him and to see the anguish in his soul. Other people this week, what have you, what, what, what have you gone through? The floor is just falling out. And man, you, I mean, you, you're here physically, but a good burst of wind in your life would just knock you over on the inside. I don't know who you are. I want you to be strengthened. And Satan is going to beat you down and tear you down. And Paul says it again. He says it here. He says it in Ephesians. Be strong. He says it in the passive voice. You're going to be strong in the Lord. Where are you drawing your strength from? Here's, here's secular humanism Christianity, okay? This is the Christianity that's mainstream Christianity out there. You just need to just, just pull it together. You just need to get your act together. Give, call on God a little bit. You know what? Sometimes you just need to drop it down. Drop your hands down. Drop your head down. And just say, God, I can't anymore. This morning I got up. Normal time, normal procedures, normal routines, normal rhythms, normal everything. And I just went and sat in my normal spot where I prepare my last thoughts for this normal Sunday. And I just was empty. And I closed my computer. And I laid my head back. And I just said, God, I can't. Would you send the rapture right now so Sunday won't have to happen? And I waited and it didn't come. So I'm here. Unless we all missed it. <laughs> then we're all in trouble. But I just pray, God, I can't. I need you to strengthen me. I need to be strengthened by your grace. I need to be strengthened by you, Lord. And you know what I hope? I hope that, that when you come around other believers, that I hope it's everywhere, but let's just pick on Grace Point for a moment. I hope when you come here 
when you're in a communitas group, I hope to God that you're strengthened by the grace of God by interacting with other believers. I hope, I hope that Colossians 3.16 can be said, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit singing to God with gratitude in your hearts, being strengthened, having the richness of His truth in us, that hearts full of gratitude. That's what I want. And I pray that when you come here, that week after week you experience that. I hope it's not the only time you experience it, but I hope if you could just kind of break that down, that I hope that in this room and during this time, even as we're reading this text, that the message of Christ is dwelling among you richly. And that as I teach, the Spirit is teaching and He is admonishing you. And I hope you'll do the same thing in your communitas group. And I hope when Andrew and the band are up here singing that what you're hearing are psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit singing to God with gratitudes in their heart and you are singing with gratitude in your heart. That would be a beautiful thing. And I think every one of us would be strengthened through an experience such as that. Listen, and I'm not saying this to be dramatic at all, I need you, and you need me. And you need the person sitting next to you, and you need the person sitting behind you, and you need them, and they need you. They need the best you. And if you think about this, if, if, if you take this scenario, and we just kind of lay it over today. If I'm Paul and you're Timothy, Paul needed Timothy at this hour. Paul needed Timothy at this hour. But Paul was also speaking to Timothy and saying, listen, brother, you got to be strengthened. you got to be strengthened in your spirit. We strengthen one another. I look across this room and I see different faces and different people that bring different strength to my bone, to my soul, to my life. Jim Sebastian sitting over here. Me, every Sunday out in the gallery area, one of our greeters... Every Sunday, he asks me, how can I pray for you this week? You know, people say that a lot. That's it to you, you say it to them, and you kind of go on. And, uh, but I knew Jim was sincere when not the first week, the third, second week, the third week, the fourth week, but whenever I would give him something to pray for, he would come back the next week and say, how's it going? How are you doing? And sometimes we need, in fact, all the time, we need one another. And if you're going out alone, you will not be strengthened. And the world will collapse and you will collapse with it. So consider it a warning Consider it something inside of you that you will be stronger through this experience today 
and I pray next Sunday, and I pray the next as you connect and you bond and you grow with one another. When you think about it, a good illustration of this would be, and I'm old enough and have lived in this area long enough that I'm country enough that I can say I can remember back when. All right, and I can remember back when uh, in this area, in these small rural areas, they have, would have a tractor pull. Does anybody even heard of a tractor pull? Raise your hand. All right, I'm speaking to some country rednecks in the room. So what that is, is whenever the farmers in the farming <clears throat> time is kind of over, the season's over, and the farmers soup up their tractors and they get them together and they try to see who's John Deere stronger than the other person's uh, international harvester or whatever they have. And they try to pull loads and they do all that. Well, long before they had tractors, they had horses. And the story goes in this old Midwestern town at the fair, they had, this, they had this competition of which horse could pull the most. And so they put this one horse and they loaded it down and it carried four, the grand champion carried 4,500 pounds. Second place winner, runner-up, carried 4,400 pounds. I thought, you know, well, if we put them together, put them together, you think they can carry an extra 100 pounds and maybe make it to 9,000 pounds. They put the two horses together and they pulled 12,000 pounds. Now, I can't explain that except for the fact that when they came together, they were stronger than when they were apart. Who are you together with? Because when you're together with the right people, you will be stronger from that. That's what I hope this church is to you and you are to this church that you are being strengthened. But number two, we've got to leverage our faith outward. It's not just an inward thing. That's when Koinonias will slip in in a dangerous pool of our blood and seep through our bodies and be in communitas groups and it will be in small groups and we'll be in sections in this room. It will be in our hearts and we will, it will take over us before we know it. But I want you to see what the way that Paul lived his life with Timothy, the way he did with those other 10 people that I mentioned or 11 people that I mentioned earlier is the way that we should be living out our life. Taking the life, the faith that we have been given that's been developed and poured into and passing that on and transferring that on to other people. Otherwise, Cononias will come in. Notice what Paul, what Paul said, and this is in uh, uh, chapter 1 of 2 Timothy, verse 13. He says the same thing multiple times. He says it in chapter 1. He says it in chapter 2. We just read chapter 2, so here's chapter 1. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me. You've heard it from me. I poured it into you. Timothy, I've given my faith that I carry inside of me, that carries me, that gives me strength. I poured it into you. And now notice this beautiful next phrase. And guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Like a deposit, like a piece of value, like, like something that would be honorable, something that you would want to keep and treasure. Now let's look at verse 2 where it says in verse 2, it says, you've heard, same word, from me in the presence of many witnesses in trust to faithful men. Again, he uses the same word twice. He uses it in chapter 1, he uses it in, in, in chapter 2. I want us to zero in on the word entrust. Entrust is actually in the Greek language in the middle voice. Now, what does that mean? In English, we don't even have a middle voice. Okay, we have an active voice, we have a passive voice. But in 
Greek, they have a middle voice. It's kind of in the middle of that. It's kind of like, yes, you're doing something, but something's being done to you, but you're not doing something, okay? So it's kind of this middle thing. So the best way I can illustrate it is when I was about six, seven, eight, nine years old, I used to work for my mother in her beauty salon. She had a hair, I didn't cut hair, uh, so don't come to me for that. Uh, but I cl- did clean hair, okay? I cleaned and swept the floor, I mopped the floor, I folded the towels, I, 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 I did all the cleanup on the behind the scenes kind of stuff. And that was my job. I got paid $7 a week. That's my war story, okay? And so, um, and child labor laws that were being broken or whatever. But anyway, so as, as we went along, she began to trust me and see a responsibility in me. And so what she did is she learned to trust me to give an entire, think about this for a moment. I'm making seven bucks a week. She gives me an entire day's worth of labor versus income in deposits and shows me where the bank is a hundred yards from her beauty shop, shows me how to open the night deposit slide it in and close it down and then always open it back up and close it down again to make sure it went through. I still do that today. I don't know if you do that. When I put a night deposit in, I open it and close it twice. And so um, I still do that because she taught me to do that. But anyway, so she gave me this job. Now, can you imagine that? And there was a time I thought about it. There's more money in this envelope right now than I make in a year. What if, and of course, I was wise, I did not do anything. I deposited it. That's the middle voice. It wasn't my deposit. I wasn't the bank. I was the middleman. What God has done and what Paul, I'm Paul, you're Timothy. What Paul is telling Timothy is it's been entrusted to you, not for you to keep, but for you to deposit. Not for you to hold to yourself but for you to give away. Read that verse again in light of that. And what I've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses in trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others. Now, there's three different generations, at least, if not four generations that you see in there. So this is the idea that we all take on a responsibility here. We all take on a role that we're supposed to pass down. Now, Paul wasn't the first one to give the gospel to Timothy. It was actually his parents, his grandmother and, grand, and, and grandmother. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, it says this, I reminded you of your sincere faith. Timothy, you have a sincere faith, a faith that dwelt First, in grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And now I am sure it dwells in you as well. I love that statement. Moms, grandparents, you don't, you don't hear anything today. You have a tremendous calling and responsibility to make sure your faith gets down to the next generation. You have a beautiful responsibility and a calling to do that. He's like, oh, I'll bring them to church so that you can do that. No, 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 no. Own it. You gave birth to them. We pass it down. We get it into the next generation. We work with you. Paul worked with Lois and what he built on that. He grows that. He pours in more into Timothy. And let me just kind of put, put a pause commercial break here for a moment. 
Next week, we're going to start a series of messages called Voices and just dealing with the voices in our life and how do we distinguish God's voice in our life. But after this series, we're going to go right into the Advent series uh, season. And we're going to, ha- I don't know what we're going to call it yet. We're still working on this, but we're going to call it Family Advent right now. That's what I'm calling it. And I'm just going to challenge our, all, everyone in here. And we're going to talk about it. We're going to work through how to do what Lois and Eunice do with their children into the next children. So just hang loose on that one. There's more to come. But the net net of where I want you to hear with this is, is if we're going to do what Paul did to Timothy and Timothy's supposed to do to, 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 to the faithful men following him and the faithful men are supposed to do it to the next generation, what does that look like? It's going to require at least three deep relationships. Okay? Well, this is something we talk about as a pastoral team. We're annually evaluated on do you have three deep relationships? This is how important it is. So let's hit these three relationships real quickly. One, every one of us needs an advisory relationship. Paul was pouring in to Timothy. Paul gave to Timothy. Timothy was receiving what Paul gave him. Who's pouring into you? Who's investing in you? I can remember the first person who invested in me. I mean, I had a lot of people, Boy Scouts leader, coaches, and different things like that. But I can remember when God called me into the ministry, there was a man who had just moved from Memphis to Northwest Arkansas. He and his family, they had one child, name was Evan, joins our church, and I'm called into the ministry. And this man starts just befriending me, pouring into me, and, and just giving himself to me. We'd go out and eat lunch together. Uh, we'd talk theology. We didn't know what we were talking about, but we talked about it anyway. We would talk uh, about life and love. We'd talk about a lot of different things. And his name's Tim Logan. He's in the back of the room right now. And that was the first man that invested in me. And to this day, I'm indebted to him. Who's pouring into you? Who is investing in you? You need someone. Number two, you need an accountability relationship too. You see that where you see people that, 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 uh, that are walking shoulder to shoulder with you, arm in arm with you. I told you this past summer, I went through about a week of depression and, and how I got through it and the darkness. And when you kind of go into those dark pits, you how do you get out of those... I reached out to some of my one another brothers that I knew that they were there. And I said, I need you to pray for me. And they did. And I came out of it. And the beautiful thing is, and this is when you know you have a one another relationship that's really a one another relationship, is whenever they come back and they pursue you. So how are you doing, Mike? A month later, how are you doing, Mike? Still working with that? So okay. Checking my pulse. Then you have a one another relationship. Some people call them 2 a.m. friends. When you have a 2 a.m. friend, a friend that you can call at 2 a.m. and it won't interrupt their life, it'll interrupt their sleep, but it won't interrupt their life, and they'll be there for you. Do you have a 2 a.m. friend? We all need an apprenticeship relationship. Peter, uh, Paul said it like this, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. He was modeling it for others. Again, Paul was modeling it for Timothy. Timothy was supposed to model it for faithful men who would in turn model it for other people. And literally they saw this multiplication movement happening. What we have a problem with in this generation in America is that we want the church 
this institution, this building. We want the stage. We want the teaching to do the pouring into. We want the church to take care of all that. Listen, if we live out the faith that Paul and Timothy lived, we're going to activate and arm all of our members to do mission and ministry together. Probably no better example of this that I can think of than a biography that I read this, this summer of a guy named Dawson. And Dawson uh, tells his story that he got married on a Sunday, and on Wednesday his house was open. Open. He and his wife had committed to a verse, and, and that verse was going to be their verse in their marriage. And this is what the verse says in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 11. Your gates shall be open continually. Day and night they shall find they shall not be shut. What an interesting verse for a married couple. But this married couple, Dawson and his wife, had committed that they were going to open their doors and say, anybody that we have a relationship with is welcome in our home and they will come into our home and we will embrace them and we will love them. And over the course of when this time their marriage to the time this biography was written on Dawson, uh, it, it was literally 48 states. They had different people coming into their home. That had sellers come into their home, army soldiers come into their home. That had so many different people. And Dawson, by the way, is a guy named Dawson Trotman. He is the founders of the Navigator Movement that is one of the greatest ministries on college campuses and on military bases to this day in pouring into people's life. Who are you pouring into? Who's pouring into you? Who are you walking side by side with? Who's your 2 a.m. friend? We're going to grow our faith inwardly, but we're going to leverage our faith outwardly. Don't let it stop with you. Don't let it end with you. The challenge, the mantra of our church has always been, use your life, your work, your place of ministry, your home as a place and an opportunity for mission. Dawson Trotman said this, and I'll finish. I believe with all my heart that one of the greatest soul-saving stations in the world is the home. If we made our homes available, our lives available for others, what difference would that make? We want to activate and arm our members for mission and for ministry.